A spectator subscription is now better value than ever before. As a new subscriber joining today, you'll pay just £1 a week for unlimited online and app access in your first year. To subscribe today, go to spectator.co.uk forward slash unlimited. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and life. My name is Freddie Gray. I'm the deputy editor of The Spectator. I am delighted to be joined by James Pogue, who writes for Vanity Fair. And we're going to be talking about Liz Cheney's large defeat in Wyoming last night. Now, James, it was pretty obvious that Liz Cheney was going to lose. The poll suggested she'd lose, although it looks as though she lost to the Trump-backed Harriet Hageman by a much larger margin than even, I think, some of the most pessimistic expectations were around around her camp. Liz Cheney has become, in recent months, the sort of leading voice of the anti-Trump Republican Party. But, of course, a lot of anti-Trump Republicans were keen to stress that she wasn't some lifelong never-Trumper. She had supported Trump 93% of the time in votes. She'd even voted against impeaching him in 2019. But she was the co-chair of the January 6th hearings, and she's become a sort of pin-up for the strange coalition of, let's call them Bush-era Republicans and Democrats who want to stop Trump at all costs. And yet she's been thrashed. You're actually in Wyoming. Give us a sense of what the mood is like there. (laughs) It's a big question. What is the mood like here? I would say she lost by pretty much the margin I thought she was going to lose by. There was a certain conversation going on in in Wyoming politics about how many people would cross over, particularly in this sort of Jackson area, this kind of bubble of Democrats that exists here. But I think that there's something that people from afar really deeply misread about this election and what's been going on in Wyoming in general. Shockingly few people I've spoken with are diehard Trump loyalists here. They're not that kind of MAGA, you're wearing sunglasses that say Trump 2020 and the crazy hats and all that stuff. That exists here, and you probably would have seen that if I had gone to the Hageman event, the event for Cheney's opponent. But the thing that I thought was significant and important about this election is that it very much crystallized what's going on in America, where Trump symbolizes a you're on our side of things. He symbolized, for a lot of people in Wyoming, a kind of like more cultural polarity than a political polarity. And people really viewed Cheney as going against Wyoming. They, they You hear that all the time. You hear she went against Wyoming. Wyoming went for Trump and she went against Wyoming. I heard variations of that like hundreds of times. Even I would say at Cheney's event, which was very funny. I'm going to get in trouble here, but it was, you know, very small Almost everyone there, you know, you could smell like money from miles away. It was out on a, you know, probably millions upon millions of dollars ranch in Jackson, which is probably the only place they could have held it. Literally even for safety, I, I think. I'm not sure. And, you know, it was very fancy. There was a country band. And, you know, it felt like awake. And I, I'm quoting other Wyoming politicos when I say that. But that that's what they were joking about it being. And I think you can look at it. She is now of that coalition you're talking about. I think I was reading today, Lisa Murkowski is the 
only Republican who voted to impeach Trump who's going to be left in office. Mm. And I think there were 10 senators and seven congresspeople, or maybe I have that backwards, but it's something Mm. like that. And all of them are out now, with the exception of Murkowski. So I think you can see the writing on the wall. Do you think your average Wyoming conservative then is more of a perhaps, I mean, they are pretty conservative, a Ted Cruz type person in 2016? Is that, I mean, then they just weren't comfortable with Trump because a lot of sort of authentically conservative people weren't comfortable with Trump in 2016. I think the pitch that Trump was offering in 2016 was still obscure to a lot of people in places like Wyoming. I think the idea of, hey, there's an establishment, the establishment is against you. Like you couldn't say the word globalism in Wyoming in 2016 and have the average guy on the street understand what you're talking about. Now you can. Mm. I think Mm. Trump won that argument. I mean, not to talk too much like J.D. Vance here, but... You know, going back to what we talked about last time, I think the kind of Trump as tribune of the people, Trump is like an earthquake in history that broke the kind of Francis Fukuyama end of history vision of liberalism. I think people buy that here now. And, you know, they wouldn't put it in those terms, but I think they understand that Trump did something that really rocked the course of American history and was to some degree, at least in their view, doing it in their interests. And I don't think that they think the Dick Cheney's and Liz Cheney's and, you know, those types of people of the world have any care about their interests. I think Trump won that argument. Was well, it interesting hearing you describe that Cheney event last night as being like a wake? Because I remember going to a Jeb Bush event in one of the 2020 primaries in, in New Hampshire. And it did feel it had exactly the same atmosphere. Everybody there seemed to be very, very well healed. And they were also very, very sad and clearly out of touch with the electorate. But I wondered if it was a bit different in Wyoming, because there's the history there of the Cheney family. Dick Cheney was from Wyoming. He was a congressman there. You didn't get any sense speaking to people, or you don't get any sense speaking to people there, that there was a sort of family loyalty or loyalty to the family. No, I think, if anything, I mean, well, let's say at that event, there was certainly some loyalty to the family, I would say. And, you know, amongst the sort of private jet crowd, there's a lot of loyalty. And, you know, before, I think on Sunday, I went to something that's going to sound funny, but is a big political deal around here. This thing called the Jackson Hole Land Trust Community Picnic, where, you know, kind of people, donors and that sort of thing gather to fund a sort of like local conservation organization. And that was funny because you had all these, you know, Democrats, Enviro type people who were passionate, passionate fans of Cheney all of a sudden, which does very much fit the narrative that that you were getting in, you know, in the broader national media. As far as like the loyalty to the family of Cheney, I, I think it's much more that people feel betrayed. I think that they feel like they offered their loyalty to that family and then the family did not reciprocate. And mm. I think perhaps this is a little complicated, but if you look at the messaging in the race, Cheney started out by hammering home what she's done for Wyoming, and then she switched. She switched and realized, I'm going to raise $15 million, which is more than you can spend in in a Wyoming congressional race anyway. So what's she doing with that money? A lot of people are asking that question. And then all of her messaging was about Trump. All of her messaging was was hammering home what she was doing to stand up to Donald Trump, which is not a message tailored to win a Republican primary in Wyoming. And I think people understood that. So she was offering a national message to national donors. She perhaps has a crazed idea that she could run for president. 
And I think people in Wyoming realized that she wasn't speaking to them anymore and didn't really care. So she, she knew she was going to lose and she therefore tried to recast herself on a national level to be America's most famous anti-Trump Republican, which, which she is now, or, or in fact has been thanks to the January 6th hearings for, for a few months. Indeed. The broader question is whether like anti-Trump Republican is ground that will be possible to stand on for very long. I would suggest it probably isn't. I think, you know, it was very interesting to be here at the time of the Mar-a-Lago raid where, I mean, I don't want to sound too pessimistic, but let's just say that there's a lot of talk in the United States, especially in right-wing circles, you know, on podcasts and bars and, you know, darkened corners about like a real, real civil war and real civil war in a near term, you know? And I think there's a little bit of a fantasy land thing going on with some of these establishment Republicans who do not understand where their own voters are headed. And they, they haven't understood it for a long time. They've been following those voters as the ball rolls down the hill here. And there's not really going to be a lot of place for them to go. I don't think there's going to be... I mean, barring the Democratic Party opening its doors to all these establishment Republicans becoming like a true corporatist, like sort of like global kind of home for everybody who just wants to keep the Trump people out of the establishment. Barring that happening, I have no idea where these people would go politically because they have no home anymore. Well, yes, it's interesting. I mean, you've talked about how well-heeled the Cheney Republicans are. I mean, people talk a lot about class war in America and that America is sort of hardening into into class antagonism. Do you think that people like Cheney are like the sort of aristocrats in 19th century Europe who, even though the world had turned against them, they just couldn't see it? They couldn't, they couldn't realise it, so they stubbornly clung on to this idea that they could still rule. I think that's precisely what's happening. I'll give you an example. I've, <laughs> I was talking to a Trump Republican, um, who I won't name, but a pretty, pretty like connected Wyoming kind of guy, He said the biggest problem in America right now is that corporate profits have been at 12% of GDP for far too long. And my head kind of melted. I was like, you're a Republican. And that's the kind of stuff that people are going to be running on here soon. Because it's hitting home. People are realizing. I'll give another anecdote. I was talking to the head of Cheney's Super PAC after her event. And I said, what next? And he said, well, we'll see in two years, meaning she might run for president. And I kind of laughed. And I said, no, no, what next for the country? And he said, oh, I think we're fucked. <laughs> and, you know, that's a Cheney guy. So that's coming from both sides. And, you know, part of why I came to Wyoming, it was not just to cover the Cheney story. It was because the economic polarization in the rural West has expanded really, really fast. And home prices in this region have shot up like to absolutely absurd levels. And it's really stressing the political system, like in very, very dangerous, crazy ways. And I'll just tell you that I can say to a cop in northeastern Wyoming or, you know, a well-heeled person like in Jackson, I can say, quote, what's going on in Wyoming? And they know that rubric. They know they know it means something, some weird combo of economic, cultural, political polarization that is really kind of ripping at the fabric of society, not just in Wyoming, but in America. But everybody knows everybody feels it. And increasingly, like, I told that anecdote about the head of the super PAC, because it's like, a few years ago, he might have thought that, but he would not have said it to a reporter. And now it's just you can't hide from it. And I find that 
very interesting as a writer. Yeah, it is very interesting. I'm looking forward to your piece already. What's the matter with Wyoming? Says there's a headline for you. But James, I mean, let's let's indulge the Cheney presidential run fantasy for a while. I suppose the thinking would be that 2024, Trump will probably run. He could well win. And even if he does, that the republic will be brought because, you know, the Cheney people, never Trump people, they always talk about saving the republic, as in fact do Trump people. Everybody thinks that the republic is sunk and needs to be saved. The idea there would be that it would become so obvious to everybody at a certain point in the crisis of the future that Trump had imperiled the republic and that, you know, all the norms had gone and all this, that they had to bring back the Cheney family. <laughs> Is that the thinking on their part? Well, okay, so yes, that's the thinking on their part. I'll explain why it's absolutely ludicrous and not going to work, which is that on the Republican side of things, increasingly people are very, very comfortable with the idea that the norm-breaking and shattering of the Republic came from the quote-unquote establishment via Russiagate stuff, via things like the Mar-a-Lago raid. Like, they regard the threat to the Republic being an out-of-control security service that went after a sitting United States president. And so there is no space to make that argument to Republican voters. And it's very funny that they think that they could. It just shows, it shows what media they're consuming. You can tell what media Liz Cheney consumes because she's clearly reading stuff that Democrats read, and she's being told the story that Democrats are being told, which is fine, but her base is reading other media and getting a different narrative of events. And it's going to be impossible to reconcile that problem. But it isn't impossible for them to, to fundraise. And that's, that's what's interesting, because you, you, know, you, you often hear Trump people talking about, unless you have Trump's backing or Trump's support, you're not going to be able to fundraise from kind of small donors or even some big donors. But yet there is a huge amount of cash for people who want to run denouncing Trump. I mean, look at the Lincoln Project was always amazingly well funded. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to try to avoid getting myself in too much trouble, but they're very good at getting a certain amount of money that pays for a certain amount of, you know, it funds a certain number of jobs and a certain, it lines a few people's pockets. But how much is any of that actually moving a needle? I mean, it's it's very funny. Like, there's probably a ceiling, too, to what a Democrat will give to a Liz Cheney figure. I think at a certain point, they're going to lose interest in that sort of thing. And, and if your ceiling is, okay, you can raise $50 million, great. But that's still, you're not moving a needle very far with that in an American presidential election. So I think they can make a lot of noise, and I think they can get a lot of attention. But there's a final kind of problem, there's a ceiling to where they can go, because they're just the actual audience of people in the country who are interested in their specific message is extremely limited. Mm. And at a certain point, the media is going to figure that out, I think. You say that Wyoming isn't sort of totally natural Trump country, but driving around it, have you seen, do you see Trump signs and banners in, in rural areas like you do in almost all parts of America now? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, it's Wyoming went more heavily for Trump than anywhere else in the country. In, in 2020, right? In 2020, yes. The, when I say it's not sort of natural Trump country, I mean in the sense that Wyoming has a very sort of libertarian tendency. It's not as, the politics have historically not been as what you might call hardcore here. It's very like, very Rotary Club kind of dominance of the Republican Party until very recently. Now there's a radical guy named Frank Ethorn who's in there who 
you know, suppose the Cheney people say that he was a, an oath keeper and stuff. Um, there's a lot of sort of like questions about his background. I don't know if that's true, but he was appeared on a list that supposedly indicated he was on the oath keepers. But yeah, you do see you do see like a great number of of signs and banners and everything like that. But as far as the deep, deep, deep personal loyalty that you would have towards the figure of Trump that you get in places like Pennsylvania, Kentucky, Ohio, like like the region where I'm from, mm. where Trump is like a savior and a culture war figure and all this stuff. Wyoming is a little less that. I think it's a deeply conservative place. And so in 2020, it was going to run for Trump, but it wasn't, it wasn't like he's saving us from the evil beyond where you get a lot of that in other parts of the country. Is it natural territory then for the coming, which is what we discussed uh, the last time I had your podcast about your, your excellent piece about the new right. Is it natural territory for the new right then to a post-Trump new right? Well, maybe. I mean, thus far, the, the post-Trump new right is to some degree a figment of, of a lot of people's intellectual imaginations and, <laughs> and, and sort of online discourse. I think, though, as I mentioned earlier, I think to a very surprising degree, some of those intellectual currents are coming good in kind of like less niche media in the American conservative spheres. I think you could probably make a pretty good pitch for some of the more authoritarian ideas, some of the more like dismantle the administrative state ideas that are coming up through the new right sphere. I think there's going to be a pretty quick shift in more rural places towards those kind of ideas. And you can look, there's a guy named Joe Kent, who is in Washington, who just won his primary for Congress, who's probably like more of a true like online new right guy than even J.D. Vance is. And then Blake Masters just won his primary in, in Arizona. J.D. won his in Ohio. And so these ideas are going to be nationalized now in ways that they were not before, in ways that they were almost like hidden behind these primary elections. I think now they're going to be much more a pitch to the voter rather than a pitch sort of a behind the scenes machination that they had been before. And finally, uh, James, what will become of the Cheneys and the Cheney faction? Do they, I mean, people around them still have a lot of money, a lot of influence in Washington. Do they eventually become Democrats, as a lot of people say that they will? Do they form their own movement, their own party? What do you think might happen? Oh, I think at the space of five years, they disappear into another world of of corporate board memberships and, and, you know, running foundations and that sort of thing. In the space of a couple years, I don't know. I mean, I think you could see an attempt to create a new party and they would have enough money to do that. Uh, Would it succeed? No. You could see them attempting to re-enter a Republican party headed by Ron DeSantis. Mm. And I think there would be a certain element of that party that would seek to welcome them. I think there would be a stronger element of the party that has moved past them. I think I think the class war stuff in Republican politics now is a little too strong to welcome back the figures and politics of, of the Cheney era. I think the Republican Party is for its own survival going to have to reorient itself around the populist politics. And if it doesn't, it's going to rip itself apart. I could see the Cheneys being a part of that ripping apart process, but they're not going to leave the party. James, great to have you on again. Real pleasure talking to you. And I hope we'll get you on again soon. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. 
Thank you very much for listening to that episode of Americano. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars, and a review. Thank you.